Before history is written, it's played. Before it's frozen in time, it's fought one shift at a time. Before it's etched in silver, it's carved in ice. What happens next will last forever. The Stanley Cup Final on ABC and ESPN Plus begins Saturday. What is up, College Across fans? You're watching episode number 244 of the Lax Factor podcast. I am your host, Ted Hoost, and today we have a bunch of lacrosse games to talk about. A bunch of games went into overtime. Very good, high-profile games nonetheless. We're going to talk a little bit of D2 and D3 action as we had two upsets on that landscape that are well worth talking about. We'll talk about Maryland, Carolina, uh, you you name it. We're going to talk about it. We're going to talk literally about 20-plus games or so today. Before I get into it, as always, be sure to like and subscribe, share the podcast with your friends, hit the notification bell if you're on YouTube, hit the like button if you're on YouTube, and beyond that, you can go to laxfactor.com. You can watch all our videos there, but we also sell custom team gear, designed, printed, cut and sewn, made in America, every aspect of it. You can go to laxfactor.com and get a quote for your custom team gear needs from me. I do all the designing and all that crap. I'll be the one you're dealing with, so support us that way. You can get your team gear for this summer into the fall. Any t- if you're a spring team and you're late to the party, hit me up. We can try to get something set up for you. Uh, and let me shut up now. The first game on the day that I want to talk about, it was an incredible game. It took three overtimes to decide. By far the best game of the weekend. It was a game of runs that saw Notre Dame and Maryland go back and forth for four quarters before needing the three overtimes to uh, crown a winner in this one. Notre Dame took a 10-9 lead with 11:49 left in the fourth quarter off a Quinn McCann strike from Pat Kavanaugh. It looked like Kavanaugh was trying to hit his brother Chris. It misses Chris, and it goes right to McCann, who stuck it in the top right corner. That gave Notre Dame that 10-9 lead. Maryland would go on to score three unanswered goals, capped by a Daniel Maltz strike with 350 left in the game. And at this point, it looked like Maryland was going to win this game between having the momentum and then Luke Weirman at the faceoff dot. Weirman had won 8 of 11 over the course of the first half. Will Lynch adjusted at the half and fared much better over the third and fourth quarters, winning 8 of 17, which allowed Notre Dame to keep pace by evening out that possession disparity. Lynch would win the ensuing face-off, which resulted in a Riley Gray goal with 3.14 left in the game. Lynch would come up huge once again, winning the next draw thanks to his homies on the wing and on the defensive end of the field, and that allowed the Irish to score with 1.56 left in the game. Chris Cavanaugh, a filthy, dirty, cross-handed dive goal that required him to go full sail and put his body on the line. He sticks it and we are tied. Now overtime is going to happen here. Weirman got back to winning draws before forcing, uh, which then kind of forced Notre Dame to get defensive stops in each of the three overtime periods in order to have a shot at trying to win the game. It was Pat Kavanaugh dodging on Brett Maycar with the game on the line. Kavanaugh dodged hard from that left wing to the middle of the field, and he kind of was dodging like 75% speed into the middle. Maycar, and then he just put the gas on for his final two steps. Maycar trailed him a little bit too much. And uh, Kavanaugh kept going hard to the middle, got his hands free, stuck the sudden death winner. Credit to Notre Dame for being extremely efficient on offense and just stingy enough on defense to overcome that Luke Wehrman 
faceoff disparity. Weirman won 20 of 31 at the faceoff dot. Now, Lynch, granted, he got smoked all day, but won those two key faceoffs at the end of the game to allow Notre Dame to get back to within a goal and to tie it. So that was huge. Uh, but, you know, he gutted it out here, and Notre Dame, or yeah, Notre Dame gets the win. Liam Entman, he won the goalie battle, stopping 14 shots to 12 goals against. Brian Rupel had a good day in cage for the, the young the young gun there for Maryland, spelling um, uh, McNaney. He had a good day. He stopped 12 shots to 13 goals against, came up just short on that last goal to Kavanaugh. Eric Dobson for Notre Dame, the big midfielder. He struggled on the day a little bit, scoring goals off, uh, scoring just one goal off nine shots. That hurt Notre Dame a little bit, considering they didn't have the ball much in the first half. Quinn McCann's two goals from the midfield were big enough, uh, were big though, and Jack Simmons and Brian Tevlin helped Notre Dame take advantage of that defensive midfield unit that so many wondered about Maryland. The 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 Notre Dame midfielders did a good job on offense against those short sticks for Maryland. Dante Trader, he did play well for Maryland. He ended up with a goal, two cause or no, he didn't have a goal. Two cause turnovers and four GBs, and actually I did think he had a goal. I thought he had a laser actually, but the rest of their rope unit struggled as Notre Dame continually attacked with mid Midfielders and those midfielders for Notre Dame delivered. Now, thanks to Weirman's efforts, Maryland held a 55 to 39 shot advantage, but only 26 to 26 in terms of shots on goal. So Terps missed the cage early. They missed the cage often. That hurt them. Their first half shooting woes proved too much to overcome once Notre Dame started figuring things out at the faceoff dot and kind of evened up that possession disparity. For Notre Dame, Chris Cavanaugh, three goals. Pat Cavanaugh, one and two. Eric Dobson, one and one. Shot terribly, though. Quinn McCann, Jack Simmons, and Brian Tevlin all put up two goals. Liam Entman, 14 saves with those 12 goals against for Maryland. Dan Maltz, Danny Maltz, two goals, two helpers. Owen Murphy, three and one. Eric Spanos, three goals. Uh, Braden Erksa and Kyle Long each had three assists. Luke Weirman dominated dominated at the dot, 20 of 31 with eight ground balls and a caused turnover, but it wasn't enough in the end. Uh, so next game we need to talk about here. It's going to be Denver. North Carolina, this was another very good game. Did not need overtime to decide it, but uh, and this one actually lost me a couple of my uh, um, parlay bets that I had. Denver was able to end the first quarter with a 4-3 lead, and that early lead proved to be pivotal as the game would come to a close. Mick Kelly, he scored that fourth Denver goal unassisted with 39 seconds left in the first quarter. Denver would go on to score two more unanswered with Joshua Carlson giving the Pios a 6-3 lead with 6-14 left in the first half. Credit to Alex, uh, I always call him Alex, but it's definitely Alec. Uh, credit Alex Stathakis for smoking Carolina at the faceoff dot badly. He had a great day. That allows Denver to kind of keep pace when their offense isn't necessarily clicking, uh, but with those extra possessions, it proved pivotal here. He wins 9 of 12 over the course of the first half and then 14 of 20 overall. Denver was up by two goals with a touch under 10 seconds left in the first half. A pile shot, it goes off the pipe and the back, and then back up the other way for Carolina. That ends up in long pole Matt Wright's stick. He feeds Sean Goldsmith on the crease, and the Mercer transfer, uh, transfer stuck it as time expired to get UNC back to within 6-5 at the half. Now the story over the course of this game, Denver did a great job playing help defense. Carolina drew slides often. They were getting separation. They were winning those initial one-on-one matchups, especially in the first half, but Denver was able to cover 
two slides, three slides deep. And it almost seemed like Carolina was trying to get a little bit too cute. They would draw the slide. They would bump the ball to a guy who seemingly had a decent look at the cage. And they were trying to make that extra pass. And it proved to be that extra pass was too much. And Denver was playing just chaotic enough and trailing these kind of uh, these players that are cutting to the cage just enough to be able to get their sticks in the way, interfere with the shots. So it seemed like Carolina was trying to do a little bit too much offensively in terms of making that extra pass. And Denver was doing just enough in terms of their slide package to keep up and to kind of stymie a lot of those early looks that Carolina got. Uh, uh, Carolina, they may have been getting, I, I said all that crap here. I, I actually had three paragraphs about that that I wrote, and then I just spouted it all off hip here. Now, despite Denver controlling the bulk of this game, Antonio DeMarco gave the heels an 8-7 lead with just 3.24 to play. He received a feed from over the top. His defender's approach was a little bit too aggressive, and then he busted a hitch on him and buried it from 10 yards out. Alex Stathakis would win the ensuing faceoff, and Denver would tie things up again. Another unassisted goal by Mick Kelly with 2.29 to play in the game. Denver continued to play make-it-take-it lacrosse with Stathakis winning another possession, and they'd capitalize yet again. J.J. Silstrop sticking a quick stick on the crease from Richie Connell. I'm still waiting for Richie Connell to kind of find his footing within this offense. He never found it really last year. He hasn't found it yet this year, but he is a very good lacrosse player that could put up points and bunches, and he just hasn't panned out yet for Denver in that way. Uh, Andrew Tyre, he would win a key faceoff for UNC when they needed it most to get the Heels one last chance to tie things up, but a turnover with 10.9 seconds left on the clock sealed the deal for Denver. Now, for Denver, scoring was spread out completely. Michael Lamper, a goal and a helper. Mick Kelly, two goals. Richie Connell, two helpers. Joshua Carlson, two goals. Stathakis, like I said, 14 of 21 I'm showing here uh, at the faceoff dot with eight GBs. Melkin Kleban in cage for Denver. Seven saves, eight goals against. Not too bad. For Carolina, Goldsmith had four goals. Lance Tillman, three assists. Logan McGovern, two goals. Colin Krieg, eight saves, nine goals against. Not Krieg's best game overall, but I, I dare say Denver did a great job taking advantage of what Alec uh, Stathakis gave them kept the pressure on on Krieg and I think the, the the Notre Dame or the North Carolina defense did not do a great job bottling up Dodgers and stopping looks uh so yeah hell of a game overall though like I said it lost me two of my parlays here right off the bat beginning of the day so I ended up winning two so my my DraftKings account is still alive here and fighting but yeah not great for me in terms of betting little d3 action here we had talked about Salisbury uh losing last weekend I believe it was uh this week when you need mealtime inspiration, it's worth shopping Kroger, where you'll find over 30,000 mouth-watering choices that excite your inner foodie. And no matter what tasty choice you make, you'll enjoy our everyday low prices, plus extra ways to save, like digital coupons worth over $600 each week. You can also save up to $1 off per gallon at the pump with fuel points. More savings and more inspiring flavors make shopping Kroger worth it every time. Kroger, fresh for everyone. Fuel restrictions apply. And it looked like they were going to lose. Salisbury held a 2-1 lead at one point in the first quarter before Lynchburg took over and controlled through the bulk of the game until pretty much the very end. Lynchburg takes an 11-6 lead just under two minutes into the second half with Dylan Wolf scoring his second straight goal off a Riley Mitchell feed. Wolf scored a goal for Lynchburg with seven seconds left in the first half and got the scoring going in the second half as well. 
Salisbury. They would then mount a slow but steady comeback, outscoring the Hornets 4-2 over the third quarter and then 5-3 over the fourth quarter. It was broken plays and rebounds that cost Lynchburg this game in the end. With 38 seconds left in the game, a Salisbury feed from X to the crease missed its mark Ends up on the deck, but Isaac Thrasher picked it up and buried it for the goals, nodding, uh, nodding things up at 15s and resulting in overtime. Please tell me this Thrasher kid is related to the family that owns Thrasher Fries that is famous uh, all over the, the Upper East Coast there between, like, let's say, Rehoboth Beach, Delaware, and down to Ocean City, Maryland. If he is not part of that family, I don't even want to do this podcast anymore. That would be dope. Okay, I digress. Now i got to find my spot here. Uh, Thrasher. Where the hell was I talking about Thrasher? Uh, let's see here. Okay, here we go. Salisbury uh, won the first draw of the overtime period, and Lynchburg goalie Tyler Hadley, he had to make a nice save on a shot from about 11 to 12, dead middle here. So the rebound, the rebound's going to kill him. He makes the save. The rebound goes to Jude Brown. Uh, Jude Brown, he picks it up, puts it home, giving the gulls the W in sudden death. I really buried that whole thing. Uh, Salisbury goalkeeper uh, ZJ Shaheen, he was replaced with 20 minutes to play after only stopping five of the fir- first 15 shots he faced. And then Nicholas Ransom came in. He made three saves versus five goals against, only a little bit better, uh, but that proved enough for the gulls to get the win. Tyler Hadley, he had a big day in net for Lynchburg. He made 22 saves against just 16 goals against. He had 11 saves over the course of that third quarter where Salisbury was starting to try to climb back into it and make it interesting. 11 saves in a quarter, that's bonkers. Uh, uh, but, you know, came up one short there in overtime. Salisbury, LSM, John DeFazio, he had five cost turnovers, five ground balls in the win. All five said turnovers came over the course of the second half with DeFazio forcing three in the third quarter and then two more in the fourth. Even better for him, though, two of those forced turnovers in the fourth that happened late both resulted in goals, one of them getting the goals back to within a goal, the other turnover after that, they scored the game-tying goal. So huge. Huge game there for DeFazio at the LSM position. For Salisbury, Jude Brown, 4-3. and three. Isaac Thrasher, please be tied to the fries. Four goals. Bryce Bromwell, 2-1. and one. Cross Ferreira, two goals. John DeFazio, five cost turnovers in those five GBs. For Lynchburg, Dylan Wolf had seven goals on the day. Big day for him, and I don't. he didn't take a ton of shots either here. If we look at Wolf's day, look at how productive he was. Seven goals off just 11 shots with four turnovers, but hey, you'll take that when a dude's going to light it up for seven goals for you. Uh, Riley Hastings, two and three. Riley Mitchell, two and two. Michael Kraus, 20 of 34 at the faceoff dot for Lynchburg with 14 GBs. And then Tyler Hadley, 22 saves. One of the, 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 the faceoff dot and the keeper are the main reasons they were in this game here. And, you know, Wolf didn't hurt at all. So, hell of a game here for Salisbury to pull it out and get the win. Another, here's another game here. Now, now that Salisbury game, that's not an upset because I forgot Salisbury won that game and they were the higher ranked team. This though, number one, Tampa against number, it says number 20 Frostburg here, but via the inside lacrosse poll, it's number 17 Frostburg. They pull out the two goal win over Tampa here. That's a huge upset in division two here on Saturday. Um, They take a 4-2 lead off an Owen McCallum goal dished by Chase Buckwalter. McCallum caught Tampa goalkeeper Blake Ulmer off the right pipe, and he scorched it past him on the the stick side. Not a great look if you're a goaltender. You do not want to get beat on that stick side, the short side nonetheless. 
But as the ball came across, he was just crept off the pipe. That was all she wrote for that. Frostburg would extend their lead to 7-3 thanks to Austin Sipes, another outside shot that beat Ulmer with 14-11 left in the second quarter. And even though Tampa would never go away fully, Frostburg would control the game throughout and held on for the monster win. Now, I've heard a lot of talk about great lacrosse names, and Frostburg's Bubba Love wins the name contest for me. He goes for three goals and two helpers on the day. Teammate Jake Bowen, or Bowman, he goes for four goals. Austin Sipes, two and two, and uh, all of those guys factored heavily. No single stat stood out in this one. Both goalies had so-so days. The face-offs were split pretty evenly. Frostburg just seemed to outplay Tampa all game long, so credit for the, uh, credit to them for gutting one out here. Uh, because it, it, like I watched a little bit of it. I watched a little bit of the action in the fourth quarter, and they, they played a hell of a game here. Like I said, for Frostburg, Bubba Love, 3-2. and two, Bowman, 4 goals. Sipes, 2-2. Two and two, And then Mitch Meckley in cage, 11 saves versus 12 goals against. For Tampa, Harry Kilkowski, 3-3. Three and three. Canyon Birch, 3-1. and one. He would have liked to have been like 6-1. and one. And then Blake Ulmer in cage, 9 saves against 14 goals against. Next game. That we are going to talk about here is number three Cornell against number eight Ohio State. Now there was big matchups in both sides of this one with Adler on Myers and Marcus Hudgens on Kirst. I know a lot of people thought Bobby Van Buren would end up guarding Kirst. That wasn't how they rolled it out here. So it was Meyer. It was um, uh, Hudgens on Kirst through this game. So how would Myers and Kirst, uh, you know, get going with two of the top poles in the country guarding them early on? They each got a point when they weren't being guarded by said poles. That's one way to you know get some offense generated when you have great defenders guarding you is do it when they're not guarding you. Kirst scored his first on a shorty matchup, and then Myers got his first on a man up. Now, keep things easy on yourself. In the end, it was Kirst that got the better of his matchups, outscoring Myers by putting up four goals in a dish to Myers' three assists. I think it's only the second game of Myers' career that he was held without a goal. Hugh Kelleher, the big boy, uh, number 27, scored what I'm call what I'm going to start calling the fake hitch dookie spin lefty snipe. He scores this with 4-11 left in the first to give Cornell a 3-1 lead and Cornell uh, you know, while Ohio State would never fully go away here, Cornell controlled through the bulk of this game to win via that 16-13 margin. The reality here, Cornell's offense proved they are fully legit as they were able to pull this win out despite losing 19 of 33 faceoffs and their goalkeeper Chase Erland struggled and he only made 18 saves versus the 20 or eight saves versus the 21 shots he faced. Cornell didn't shoot the ball particularly well. They scored on only 16 of the 60 shots they took on the day. That's a, a 0.26 shooting percentage, not very good. What Cornell did do well though, they never stopped never stopping when it came to attacking that Ohio State defense. And despite their high volume of shots with a low shooting percentage, they took much better care of the ball overall than Ohio State did, and that helped them kind of edge the Buckeyes out on the scoreboard, make up for a little bit of that face-off disparity. For Cornell, Billy Coyle played huge, four goals, two helpers, C.J. Kirst, four and one. Brian Piatelli, another Piatelli brother that's great off-ball for Cornell, three goals, Hugh Kelleher, two goals, Chris Davis, three cost turnovers, three GBs, Chase Erland, eight saves, 13 goals against. For Ohio State, Ed Sheen, four goals. Jack Myers needed some goals, didn't get them. He has three helpers. Scott White, two and one. Skyler Walland looked decent in cage, 15 saves, 16 goals against. But now Cornell, four and oh here. Ohio State has now dropped two in a row, but they dropped those two games to Virginia and Cornell. So I think we'll probably forgive the Buckeyes and I'm not going to bury them in the rankings because of these two losses. They didn't look too bad. Next up here. 
Georgetown, and Princeton. Now, the Hoyas were finally able to get their offense going against a Princeton squad that came into this game ranked number five in IL's media poll, despite me having them at number 12 in my own poll. Now, I felt that Princeton's been overranked so far this season, and I think they kind of proved that today, losing to the 0-3 Hoyas, who have been struggling to get anything going offensively. After after Princeton was able to knot things up at fours late in the first quarter, Tucker Dordovic sniped a man-up goal from deep with Jacob Kelly getting credit for the dish. In reality, it was just Kelly kind of just tossed it to Dordovic, and Dordovic just laced it from deep. Just under two minutes later, a loose ball was scooped up by Kelly. He finds the clan McDermott, who stepped down and laced a low-to-low goal, giving the Hoyas a 7-4 lead. That's key. I've been talking about how guys like DeClan McDermott, which factored heavily in this Hoyas offense last season, had factored almost not at all so far this season. So getting McDermott and, and those guys incorporated in the offense was going to be key. Princeton would get back to within a goal a bit later, but the Hoyas had an answer and slow rolled to as much as a six-goal lead before, allow, uh, before allowing Princeton to claw back late and then make the score look a little bit more respectable than I think what it really was in the end. One thing to note, the Hoyas still didn't shoot the ball incredibly well. Some of the players did. Dordovic scored three goals off 11 shots. That's not too bad. Graham Bundy Jr.'s shooting woes continue, with him scoring just a single goal off 10 shots. Now, Bundy Jr. thus far has a case of the yips. Uh, he's got eight goals off 36 shots for a 2-2-2 shooting percentage. He'll eventually figure it out, but you know uh, his lack of production thus far, I think, has kind of played a little bit into the Hoyas struggling to get flow offensively and, and to find some sort of chemistry. So once he figures it out, they'll be okay. They're about to get into some conference games, so that should be good for the Hoyas and their confidence. Ryan Reynolds here from Mint Mobile. With the price of just about everything going up during inflation, we thought we'd bring our prices down. So to help us, we brought in a reverse auctioneer, which is apparently a thing. Mint Mobile Unlimited Premium Wireless. Ready to get 30, 30, ready to get 30, ready to get 20, 20, 20, ready to get 20, 20, ready to get 15, 15, 15, 15, just 15 bucks a month. So give it a try at mintmobile.com slash switch. $45 up front for three months plus taxes and fees. Promote for new customers for limited time. Unlimited more than 40 gigabytes per month. Slows. Full terms at mintmobile.com. Overall, for Georgetown, Brian Minikis, the transfer from Colgate 3-2, and two, Declan McDermott and Duck Tucker Dordovic each had three goals, Will Bowen, two cause turnovers, two GBs, and then Michael Scarfenberger, 15 saves versus 10 goals against in cage. So Georgetown goes with a different goalie in this game. They sit down Hanks, uh, the Dart, I think he was the Dartmouth transfer, and then uh, uh, Scarfenberger, which it's a do- it sounds like something that, like from like Thundercats or something like that. He uh, he plays well today for Princeton. Coulter Maxey, five goals and a helper. Jake Stevens, three and one. Not terrible, but now Princeton drops to two and two. Uh, They're definitely my. I, I'm probably going to drop them back a little bit, even from where I had them at twelve. I don't think that there is it, the hype machine was way was kind of sitting there in front of the in front of the reality of it. I believe for Princeton. All right, I'm going to shut up about that one. We'll stop shitting on Princeton. We will move on now to talk about number twelve St. Joseph's against number fifteen Johns Hopkins. Now, while this game came right down to the wire, Hopkins was able to control the scoreboard for the bulk of the game and hold. St. Joe's back just enough to pick up that one goal win. It was Dylan Bauer that scored the dagger for Hopkins with 10:30 left in the fourth quarter, giving the Jays a 15-12 lead. Factoring huge, and I mean huge in this victory, was Tyler Dunn at the faceoff dot for Hopkins. Zach Cole, he is an absolute killer for St. Joe's at the dot. And I had said in the preview show, Dunn was going to have his work cut out for him, and he was going to have to just try to scrap 
and fight to, you know, even just win 40% of the draws overall. He ends up winning 18 of 32 with 10 GBs and a goal. And without that effort, I do not see how Hopkins is able to hold off and pull this game out. Cole came into this game, just to give you a little bit of reference here. Cole, context. Let's give you context. Cole came into this game winning 77.2% of his draws. Dunn put him under 50% for the first time this season. So a hell of a job by Dunn and Hopkins. For Hopkins, Jacob Angelis, he has continued to be an incredible anchor for this offense, a quarterback for this offense. As long as he stays healthy, Hopkins is going to be able to win and fight in every game they play. Uh, you know they're not going to win every game they play, but they're going to be in those games. Angelus two and six, Garrett Degnan four and one, freshman midfielder Matt Collison two and one. Like I said, Tyler Dunn eighteen of thirty two, ten GBs and a goal. Brett Martin on defense three cost turnovers and a GB, and Tim Marcel back in cage for Hopkins eleven saves against fourteen goals against. For St. Joe's, Carter Page four goals, Levi Anderson one and two, Tucker Brown three goals, and like I said, Zach Cole. 15 of 33 at the faceoff dot. That's not going to get it done for St. Joe's. He struggles on the day. St. Joe's loses the game to number 15, Hopkins. Next up, another very good game. Another one that I picked wrong in the end. Number 10, Penn, taking on number 17, Penn State. Now, Penn, they took a 9-8 lead with 2.33 left in the third quarter off an unassisted James Shipley goal. And from there, things got rough as Penn State went on a seven-goal run to take the lead back and eventually win the game. It was Matt Trainer scoring from Chris Jordan with 9.59 left, a man-up opportunity that ended up being the game-winning goal. Now, Penn State ended up on the better side of just about every stat category other than clears they outshot out ground balled and out face off the Quakers is that those those aren't even words necessarily they also went one of four on extra man opportunities while holding Penn to 0 for three Penn State defense held Sam Handley to just one goal and two helpers off six shots Kevin Winkoff went off for the Nittany Lions dropping five goals off just seven shots on the day Chase Mullins he won 10 of 29 draws for Penn State, giving them a hefty possession advantage that paid off over the course of the second half. Mullins won 8 of 13 by halftime, but played a little bit better over the course of that second half, winning 11 of 16. That dominant second half proved key in that seven-goal Penn State run. For Penn State, Kevin Winkoff, five goals. Matt Costin, three goals. Matt Trainer one and two. They're starting to show the depth in their scoring. Chase Mullins, 19 to 29 face-offs, eight GBs. Grant Haas had two cost turnovers, six ground balls, and then Jack Frasion. I always forget how to pronounce that poor dude's name. I'm going to have to figure that out. Nine saves against nine goals against. For Penn, James Shipley, three goals. Sam Handley held to one and two. Emmett Carroll had 16 saves against 15 goals. And that's all I have to say about that game. All right, here we go. Michigan and number 19, Delaware. Delaware held a 9-5 lead with 2.43 left in the first half off a goal by Matt Asione. I'm not sure how to pronounce that one either, but I presume his brother Cam Asione, Asione, Asione. Uh, he had the feed. I, I presume they're brothers there. Uh, but that gives Delaware a 9-5 lead. I actually, we turned this one off and switched to a different game thinking, okay, hey, Delaware's kind of controlling this game now. What's going to happen? Wolverines, they'd go on a monster nine-goal run that took right around 15 minutes of game clock to play out. They flip the script on the Blue Hens. They go from nine to five down 
to 13 to 9 up after Michael Bohm scored from Ryan Cohen with 103 left in the third quarter. Michigan made Matt Kilkerry's day miserable in cage for the Blue Hens. He only stopped seven shots against 16 goals. Rough outing. Delaware missing Mike Robinson on offense. That's still definitely hurting them, but he's gone at this point. I don't know when he's coming back, and they're going to, he's, if he continues to miss time as they start to get into their conference play, they're going to have to figure that shit out. For Michigan, Josh Zuwada. Great day. Three goals, three helpers. Ryan Cohen, two and four. Bohm, three goals. Shane Carr, six saves against three goals against. And Michigan did play two goalies in this game, and I don't know why. I don't know if that was just a scheduled splitting of time. Uh, but Carr seemed to play better on that day. For Delaware, Ty Kurtz, four and two. Clay Miller, two and two. I think Ty Kurtz is leading the country in actual goals thus far. And I think uh, CJ Kirst is second in goals, but I think Kirst is leading the nation in goals per game, I would assume here. But Delaware needs Robinson back. That's going to bump Delaware out of the top 20. Probably not quite good enough to get Michigan into the top 20. I'm going to have to see when I sit down to do that this evening here. All right, next game. And now we're getting off script here a little bit. Michigan or, or Virginia. I only, I just kind of wanted to talk to this one about this one quickly. They buried Richmond. They were the last leg of two of my parlays that I won. I needed them to cover uh, by what was it? Uh, minus six and a half. I needed them to, you know, win by seven. They did. So as we're looking at the scoring here for Virginia, Xander Dixon goes for six goals, Peyton Cormier, three and three, Patrick McIntosh, three and two, Connor Schellenberger, one and three. A lot of talk about Connor Schellenberger getting shut down by Bobby Van Buren last week. What people got to understand about that, maybe he did. I didn't watch um, Deemer Class's review of that film, and maybe it would show that Van Buren got the better of Schellenberger. But Schellenberger is not a, hey, if I need to go out and put up a buttload of points every single game for us to win. If they're smoking somebody, he's just going to let the game keep coming to him and let the let the route continue, which is what they did against Ohio State. Same thing here. One and three on the day. I don't think that was the result of any crazy defensive efforts. He only took two shots. I think he's just letting the offense get their flow, letting guys get their look. What I want to see is when it's a close game, Game's on the line, and he's got one of these top defenders guarding him. What's he going to do then? And I bet you more often than not, he's going to come out on top. So anyway, Virginia absolutely rolled here. What did PD LaSala do? Uh, I want to see. Like I said, they don't ever – yeah, Virginia, I'm not even going to talk about you anymore because your stats fucking suck. And that's it. We're moving on now to Loyola. This one surprised me a little bit because I thought Loyola would roll Lafayette, and that was not the case. Lafayette kind of hung in there for most of the game, but by the end, let's see what we got for Loyola here. Davis Lindsay plays well, three goals, two helpers. Matthew Minikis, the young guy here, four goals in the day. So like I said, Loyola needed, for, needed the young guys to continue to play tough. Thus far, they have done that. Eric Pacheco at the faceoff dot wins 19 of 28. So really, this is a credit to Lafayette. It, it shows that I think Loyola's offense still isn't fully clicking here and you know Luke Stout played well so I mean from a statistical standpoint Loyola seemed to win the bulk of the draws their goalie saved more shots than he let in and uh, offensively they just didn't rack up the scoring you would have thought maybe they'd end up with 17 to 19 and they would have held Lafayette back a little bit so we got to see what happens with Loyola still a little bit but uh, you know hey they're still winning games they've still got some quality wins here and a win is a win even if you didn't win by the margin that some stupid podcaster uh, from his office basement uh, thinks. Did that even make sense? Did I, did I speak? Was that sentence grammatically correct? I don't think so. All right. 
Next game we got to talk about here, Utah. Now, I'm hearing a lot of people say, is Utah arrived, blah, blah, blah. I, wh who are these people that are asking if Utah has arrived after a loss? Yes, they played a Big Ten opponent tough, but I don't know. You know, sometimes teams play down, and I think that was the case here a little bit. As you see, Utah was able to kind of hang over the first quarter and over the second quarter, and then Rutgers gave up some a lot of goals late here over the course of the fourth. But if we look at this game, I mean, come on, people. Rutgers was up 14 13-6, 14-6. They were up by quite a bit, 17-11. This wasn't a close game. They just gave up three goals late to Utah to make it look a little bit more respectable than it was. So I say credit to Rutgers for beating them. Uh, yes, maybe they didn't want to give up that many goals late in that game to make this look more respectable than it was, but I don't think this is proof of shit. Uh, for Utah, except that they lost. You know, they lost a game and they were losing by quite a margin at some point and they didn't give up. They kept fighting. Good good for you, but you still lost the game here. Uh, for Rutgers, what do we do for points? Ross Scott, baby, three and three. Hasn't been their leading scorer in every game, but is continuing to battle. Brian Cameron, monster, four and one. Uh, Dante Coolis has played well, four goals here overall. Cause turnovers, Ethan Rawl, three cause turnovers at five GBs. Not a bad game there. And the, the the Rutgers this Rutgers team and their defense overall is only going to be as good as Kyle Mullen is in cage. Mullen, 13 saves against 14 goals against. I think he needs to find a little bit of consistency for Rutgers. And then I think you see them win these games by a slightly larger margins. But that's the big difference for Rutgers here. They did lose a little bit of depth on defense. They lose their All-American goalkeeper in Cursed. And Mullen not cursed thus far in terms of a transfer goalie coming in and playing huge for you. He's played solid, but I think if they can find some uh, some consistency both in front of him defensively and with him stopping balls in net, I think that that's going to be the best case scenario for Rutgers. Obviously, you know you don't need to be a rocket scientist to realize that. All right, another game. This was on my radar. I watched a little bit of this game early on here was Hobart against Robert Morris. And Hobart did control the game pretty much throughout. Robert Morris kind of made things interesting here, scoring late to get to within a goal. But Bradley Simus, he scores the dagger for Hobart, gives them the 14-12 to win on the day. Let's see what we got for stats here for Hobart. Anthony Detellis, four goals, three helpers off just seven shots. Not too bad. We've got Adam Shea winning 16 to 28 of the draws at the faceoff dot. And then I believe, yeah, neither goalie played all that big, but Hobart, hey, they pick up the win against Robert Morris on the road nonetheless. We've got Brown on the road against uh, um, Stony Brook. Jeez, I was like, man, who are they playing here? Against Stony Brook. This one wasn't close, but what I did notice in this one was Devin McLean did not appear to play. Aiden McLean, who I once again presume it's his brother, five goals, two helpers, so absent Devin McLean. The other McLean is your leading scorer and tears it up for you. He took 16 shots on the day, so that's a hell of a job. But yeah, I noticed McLean didn't play. I don't know what happened. I do know that Matthew Gunty had a goal and then won 19 of 30 of the draws, so a hell of a game out of Gunty. He's played well now. I believe that's two games in a row. He's actually pretty much performed incredibly here. Yeah, he was 19. So far, Gunty's tore it up. He he struggled badly against Quinnipiac, but he wins 15 of 18 against Providence. He wins 19 of 31 against Vermont, and that's against Vermont with um, uh, Tommy Burke at the faceoff dot. He smoked Burke uh, last weekend, and that's why Vermont lost to Brown, and now he wins 19 of 30. So credit here to... Uh, 
uh, to Matthew Gunty because he's playing solid lacrosse at the faceoff dot for um, for Brown, and then they end up with the win. Uh, once again, people's goalie didn't have a great day. 10 saves, 12 goals against. Neither goalie played well, but uh, Brown ends up picking up a big win here on the road. We've got Boston U on the road in playing in upstate New York against Colgate. They handled their business. I am just checking in on this one to see what happened with these. Vince Dalto, 5-1. Timmy Lay, 3-2. Tommy Bork, 2-2. Two two. So that attack unit with some of their middies continue to play, continues to play really well. Louis Perfetto held scoreless off five shots, so that's surprising here. Matt Garber in cage, eight saves. Uh, off eight goals against, and what do they do at the faceoff dot? Connor Calderon, 15 to 22 at the dot for Boston U. So they end up beating Colgate here on the road. Big win for them. Uh, and that is actually a Patriot League contest, I believe. Yeah, it is. All right, another one here we got to talk about quickly here. Jacksonville holds off High Point. Now, Jacksonville did control this game here throughout for most of it, and, and High Point just never kind of went away. You see here they're up 14-8 at one point, and High Point goes on a five-goal run to get back to within 14-12, to but then Jacksonville answers, and they end up winning the game here. One thing that has been key for Jacksonville thus far this season is Luke Milliken is playing tough in cage. Not great on this day, 12 saves against 15 goals against, but he's going to be key because that Jacksonville defense, they lost some talent last year. He's going to be the one that's going to have to kind of keep them in some of these games, some of these close games. Parker Green had a miserable day, nine saves against 17 goals against overall. That is not great. Scorers for Jacksonville. We got Max Waldbaum. He's back in the lineup. Two goals, three helpers. Jacob Greiner, three and one. Um, Ibrahim Payo, three and zero. Oh. Brandon Galloway, three and zero. Oh. So a pretty good job here on the uh, on the side of the Jacksonville offense. And then Nathan Cap. He splits the faceoffs overall. All right, we're going to stop talking about that one too. You can see we're kind of getting down to the end here of what I prep for. Big game today. I am still. I had actually was going to go to this game, and I decided about. 10 minutes before, not even like five minutes before I recorded this, that if there was any rain or snow in the forecast, I wasn't going to make my wife DD me around town with the children in tow. So I'm going to watch this game today from my couch on the big screen. So that'll be that. But just let's just rip through here. Bryant over Manhattan. Monmouth beats Mount St. Mary's in overtime. Air Force pulls it out against Mercer. Uh, Sacred Heart lost by a goal to Drexel. Providence beat up Fairfield. Uh, who else, who else we got? Villanova continues to win games and they're playing well. They win over Hostra 15 to eight neat Lehigh Navy. I didn't talk about this one. How did I skip this game here? This game was important because what happened here was Lehigh won despite Sisselberger not dominating the dot. You see here, Sisselberger only won 54% of the draws in this game. We look at the goalie situation here, the fresh, I think for uh, Nick, uh, Pecora is a freshman. He ends up with 16 saves against 10 goals against. I believe he may have actually been a Navy commit originally. So he ends up winning the goalie battle against Pat Ryan. They win the game despite Sisselberger not dominating Navy on the faceoff dot like you would have assumed here. Justin Tiernan, 3-2. and two. Scott Cole, 2-3. Two and three. Christian Moulet, 3-2. and two. So uh, Lehigh gets big games out of some of their offensive threats. Sisselberger does edge uh, Navy a little bit at the faceoff dot, but it's their freshman goalkeeper here that has the big day, Nick Pecora, and uh, hey, they win the game, and he is not a freshman at all. I am an idiot. He is not a freshman. He is a junior in cage here, but uh, who cares? Who cares? He played big, 
and they win the game. Ah, shit. I just closed that out, and I didn't want to. All right, let's go back to the scoreboard here, see who else I forgot to talk about that we got to get in before we're done. Marist over Bucknell, 14-11. to 11. Uh, Bellerman beats VMI, 17-6. Cleveland State over Canisius, 18-12. Uh, da, 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 da. New Jersey Tech gets a win over Wagner by two goals. Binghamton beats St. John's by a goal. That was a good game here. I was thinking about going to that game in person, but Maryland was playing Notre Dame. I had to watch that instead. Dartmouth over Siena by three. They did. Dartmouth didn't cover that crazy spread that they put out. And uh, UMBC and Towson got postponed. So that's it. I'm going to shut the hell up here. We're going to move on. We've got games today. Army at Holy Cross. Duke at Syracuse. Towson at UMBC. Merrimack at Quinnipiac. All being played today. The big one here, baby. Mike Hughes against Duke. I've got a bad feeling because between Naso at the faceoff dot and then that Duke offense, that those three attackmen for Duke between Williams, uh, O'Neal, and um, what's-his-nuts? Why am I drawing a blank on McAdory? Here, I think they may be a little bit too much to handle along with probably losing the bulk of the faceoffs to Jake Naso. So that is my worry in this one. Even though Syracuse has gotten the better of Duke many times. You see here Syracuse and Duke last year. Syracuse lost 14 to 10 last season. <clears throat> Let's see what they do in 2021. 2021, Syracuse beat Duke 15 to 14. And did they play him twice that year? Nope. Uh, 2020, that was what, the COVID-shortened season? They didn't play that year. 2019, I'm pretty sure Syracuse beat them that year. Da -da 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 -da. Nope, Syracuse. Yeah, Duke lost to Syracuse. I screwed that all up. I'm going to shut the hell up here. But Syracuse has done a good job of playing spoiler to Duke in the past. I'm hoping they can do that again today for me. Uh, and that's it. Uh, be back on Wednesday. I'll be back on Wednesday. We'll talk about the games that are being played today and some of the other early weekday games on Wednesday. We'll preview the weekend's games. And then, as always, I'll be back on Sunday. So thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. Go to laxfactor.com. If you have team gear needs, we can deliver. Manufactured in the United States here. Designed by me. Manufactured in the United States as well. So go to laxfactor.com for all of that crap. Once again, thank you for watching. Thank you for listening. And Hoost is out. Factor. The Lax Factor Podcast.